The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com If you got your Bibles, you want to turn to Micah chapter 2. Um, we're going to be dealing with two of the verses that I skipped over last week. Um, I, you know, it just, it just got, uh, it got away from me a little bit, but I thought it was really important for us to deal with uh, some of these issues uh, in these two verses. In Micah chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, while you're turning there and getting your notes ready and all that stuff, there was an article in Psychology Today where it says this, power abuse is, on, is an issue that most of us have experienced at some time, whether we acknowledge it publicly or not. Controversy and debate around this subject are constantly gaining ground and interest, especially in the workplace. Abusive people gain and maintain power over their victim with controlling or coercive behavior and proceed to subject that person to psychological, physical, sexual, or financial abuse. As we have seen from the media coverage of high-profile cases, this abuse can go on for years. It's often ignored and may be encouraged by those surrounding the abuser. Not taking action to stop the abuse is a form of abuse itself. Understanding the psychology behind an abuser's action can help explain, but not excuse, why the abuse may continue and possibly increase. Individuals, this is where the psychology part comes in. Individuals who are abusive or have narcissistic tendencies may have a narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD. Research from the Cleveland Clinic shows that 5% of the population has NPD. Narcissists have a need to make themselves look impressive, crave admiration and power, lack empathy, and often act arrogantly. When narcissistic behavior exists, you can see an increase in power in abuse cases. Now, just real quick, I'm going to take a short little turn here. Um, NPD, Narcissistic Personality Disorder, the Bible has been referring to this for a long time. It's actually called sin. <laughs> and sometimes when we get into some of the psychology stuff, it's just like, oh, in other words, sin. Victims of abuse are often stressed and confused about their situation. This confusion can block a person's confidence to report the issue or they ignore it thinking it will go away in time, but it doesn't. Often the channel to address the issue leads to the legal department, but law firms can be a breeding ground for bully protection. Those with money or positions of power often have greater access to lawyers. They can quickly exhaust the victim's ability to afford legal support, and they know it. The power abusers are often in a position to control even legal outcomes. So as a result, these cases, these cases go unreported, undetected, and unchallenged because the victim feels that the threat of action could be worse than the original form of abuse. This creates a vicious cycle in which the perpetrators feel that they're getting away with the crime, empowers them to continue their abusive behavior. Abuse of power, abuse, misuse of power, it's not anything new. Now we see it. We've seen it. Many of us have experienced it. Many of us lived it. Many of us are the victims. Many of us are the abusers. This is a reality 
in our world today, the abuse and misuse of those who have power. And family, it's not just in the workplace. It's in general culture. It's in government. Those with influence, the clergy, family, social groups, activity groups, in our schools, in our gyms, in enforcement, in media, and also even in the ministry, we see abuse of power. Aggressive negotiations, we see false accusations, setups, stealing, lying, hostile takeovers, manipulation, misappropriation, false advertising, deception, and sometimes even assault. Do you know that is really sad today, that the amount of rape that happens in the church I saw the statistic, I fell out of my seat. And then they're talking like, you know, hey, but this last year we all saw that we saw the incidents of rape actually go down last year. Why is it happening at all? (sighs) For me personally, This is the kind of stuff when it comes to politics and, you know, all that stuff. I mean, there's always frustration when it comes to leadership and things that are happening. But for me, when I feel like the guys that we're supposed to be trusting that are in positions that require us to trust, when they're in those positions and you just know they're doing stuff behind closed doors and you just know that that's the part that just irks me, you know, it starts to get me when we're taken advantage of by people who are supposed to be trustworthy and who we're supposed to trust. They're in positions that require trust. It's part of their job description that we trust them. They're not supposed to do these kinds of things. We depend on them. We need them. We sacrifice for their service and we have no choice in it when it happens. And for some time now, it does not seem like it's getting better. Sometimes it feels like it's actually getting worse with the abuse and misuse of people in power. And is there any way for something to be done with these people in their positions? Is there any way for us to put a stop to this? I mean, some people say, well, we could revolt. Sure, we could revolt. Or we could just wait on God who promises to put an end to this kind of behavior. Which could actually be us revolting. (laughs) But the problem with this kind of abuse and misuse though, you know what it does? It causes victims to become the predator. This is, an, this is an anomaly that we see in the world today where the victims become the predator. What, ha- what I mean by that is, is it causes the victims to fall into sin as well. And that's why when God decides to judge the nation, that as he's judging the people within the nation, even though he's pointing out the leaders, 
It's interesting how the abuse and misuse of power by the leaders trickled down to the people and the people fall in to sin as well as people either take on those characteristics or they respond to this attack or this abuse in sin. They respond in anger, in hate, in spite. They give up, they despair, they rebel, and they fall into the serious, serious sin of unbelief. This is why, again, in the scriptures, we show the scriptures will show the judgment of God coming upon the leaders, but also it comes upon the people as well. We find that when these things happen, no one is innocent. It all trickles down to the entire nation, to all the people. No one is innocent. But the people, they love it this way. They do? Yeah. Hey, you know what? Don't preach the truth. Remember last week? Don't preach the truth. Be quiet about the truth. What we want is we want you to preach, the people who preach on beer and wine, on, on how we can live like kings and have life and prosperity and well-being in our lives. Yeah, those are the people that we want to hear from. Those are the people that we want speaking to us. Those are the voices that we want. All the while, the world, like we say in Texas, is going to hell in a handbasket. But is there hope? Do we have hope today? You bet we do. Let's take a look. Matthew chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. Yet to this very hour, my people rise against me like an enemy. You steal the shirts right off the backs of those who trusted you, making them as ragged as men returning from battle. You have evicted women from their pleasant homes and forever stripped their children of all that God would give them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. May it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we hide your words in our heart that we might not sin against you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes, the first thing we're gonna look at today is the abuse of power in the time of Micah in Judah and Israel, giving even more reasons for judgment to come. Second, even our Lord suffered by the hands of those who have power, but it brought the wonderful work of salvation. It brought it to completion with the words, it is finished. Our thesis statement today is this, though sin in the pattern of this world finds the reality of absolute power corrupting absolutely, it's the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scripture that will cause us to see the reason for the real coming and terrible judgment of the King of Kings and the truth of the gospel and how we can be saved. Point number one, in Israel and in Judah, we see the abuse of power, the abuse, the misuse of power in evicting and stripping of the gifts that God had, give to the, had given to the people. So what we see here in verses 8 to 9, we see the continuation of the theme of coveting. Okay, so remember, just because coveting is the last, <laughs> is the last one of the Ten Commandments, it doesn't make it less important and in reality, when we see in Scripture, we just see how absolutely troublesome coveting actually is. And this is a picture of those who have power 
to get what it is that they covet. So you got the people that have so much money, they can get whatever they want. But here you have people who have so much power that they can still get what they want. Power. And what an atrocity we see that it is. The scriptures say, you have become like an enemy to people. You robbed people and you rob even people who are just passing through. People that are just coming through, people that are just visiting, people that are just coming into town for a meeting. And you're, you're even trying to rob them. You're trying to strip them. You're trying to take what God had given them. You're trying to take that away from them. I mean, one commentator actually says that it is the powerless who are the prey of the powerful. The powerless become prey. Your nation is a nation where people who are powerless are prey. Wow. The picture given is even more grotesque when, he, when he starts to give some of the illustrations how people are like those that are, are involved in the war. Now watch this. They trusted you. Your people, the people that are passing through, they're trusting you. And the trust that they have for you are like soldiers who were fighting a battle and they just got the good news that the war is over and we get to go home. Now, I don't know for many of us, some of us might have actually been in war or, you know, been in conflict. And, you know, the idea of, hey, I'm out here in this country, I'm fighting a battle, my life is in jeopardy, it's just bad, you know, all this stuff is happening. And here's the thing, we just got word that the battle is over and now I get to go home. Now, the thought that goes through a soldier's mind as he goes home is when he arrives at home, He's safe, right? We got that idea, that idea, hey, I get to go home. I don't have to worry about fighting anymore. I don't have to be watching my back. I don't have to watch somebody else's back. I don't have to worry about bullets flying by. I don't have to worry about getting killed. I don't have to worry about accidents. I don't have to worry about wartime issues. I'm gonna go home. I get to sleep in my bed. I don't get to sleep in the mud. I get to sleep in my bed. And I'm not worried about all kinds of conflicts and stuff happening at home. So that's the picture that we see here. And what he's saying is, they all believe what they, when they came home, they would be safe. But not so. The people in your country, <laughs> they are not safe from you. You're the one who they're putting their trust in. Now, why is this picture so bad? Because it's not the coming Assyrian army that's coming to bring violence and pillaging. They are not the real enemy. Your real enemy is your community and those closest to you. So the battle you were fighting here in war, yeah, those aren't your real enemy. You know where your real enemy is? Home. That's how wretched and how awful your country has become. Your nation has become so bad that the real enemy to soldiers is home. 
Your real enemy is your community and those who are closest to you. How horrible is it when your enemy is the person who you're supposed to be able to trust? Who's, who's supposed to be watching your back? These are the people who are your enemy. The person that you are supposed to be able to rest in, that is your real enemy. This is a real lamentation for an individual. When the safe place is no longer safe and the people who you are supposed to be able to trust are no longer trustworthy, not just that, but has become an enemy even worse than your enemy. Psalm chapter 41, verse nine. Psalm 41, nine. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. Psalm chapter 55, verses 12 to 14. Psalm 55, 12 to 14. It is not an enemy who taunts me. It's not an enemy who taunts me. I could, I could bear that. It's not my foes who are so arrogantly insulting me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you. It's my equal, my companion, and my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. What he's saying there is, hey, if it was my enemy that was coming against me, man, I could handle that. What I cannot bear is when my friend becomes my enemy. That's, that's what was happening in the nation. The people that they're supposed to trust, the people who this individual is supposed to trust is actually their enemy the real enemy. They're coming against me. My friends, my family, they're supposed to be there for me. But here, it also shows that it wasn't enough to take their money. It wasn't enough to take their property, but it was also necessary for them to actually take the shirt off their back as well. Not just taking my money, not emptying my bank account, you're not taking my car, you're not taking my house, you're taking the clothes off of my back. Just stripping me down to absolutely nothing. The removal of their dignity. So in some of your translations, it also talks about a, a, a robe, a prestigious robe that you are taking from them. The robe that they wore, the clothes that they wore back then was a sign of their identity, right? That's the whole reason why when, when, uh, when Joseph uh, gave, uh, not Joseph, um, Joseph got the, the robe by uh, Jacob. I'll get it. It, it, was a, it was a long night. Jacob gives Joseph a robe that's why that caused such a huge stir, because of what that represented. It represented who they were. Their glory shall you speak. This is who I am. This is my badge of honor. This is what, when somebody presents me with a robe like this, man, this is a huge deal. This is a big deal. And you are going to take that coat from them. You're even taking away and stripping them of their badge of honor. Not enough, you took their house, you took their car, you took all their stuff. Now you're going to take their identity. Now you're going to take anything and everything that's important to them. 
During this time, robbing somebody of their robes or their cloaks was taking their honor, their glory, and their identity. And taking someone's cloak was a serious thing. How serious? Exodus chapter 22, verses 26 to 27. Exodus 22, verses 26 to 27. If you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan. See, that's how important that cloak is. That's how valuable that cloak is. That the cloak, your jacket, you know, maybe in Colorado it's not like that. Hopefully you guys don't have a cloak that's, you know, that's worth enough to, you know, to, to be a collateral for a loan. If you got a cloak that's enough to be collateral for a loan, we need to talk. <laughs> but that's how valuable a cloak was back then. It was enough to be collateral for a loan. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Good. So you understand what I'm saying here. It's security for a loan. Now watch this. If you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. This coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? If you do not return it and your neighbor cries out to me for help, then I will hear, for I am merciful. You don't give him his cloak back before sunset. He's going to cry out to God and God is going to hear it. That's how serious this is. That's how serious it is for you to take somebody's coat back then. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 10 to, 10 to 13. Deuteronomy 10, 24, 10 to 13. If you lend anything to your neighbor, do not enter his house to pick up the item he's giving as security. You must wait outside while he goes in and brings it out to you. If your neighbor is poor and gives you his cloak as a security for a loan, do not keep the cloak overnight. Return the cloak to its owner by sunset so he can stay warm through the night and bless you and the Lord your God will count you as righteous. That's how important that cloak was. So important that God himself is going to get involved in this situation if you mess with somebody's cloak. So that's how serious it is. And what was happening in the nation? They were taking it from people. Obviously not giving it back to them at sunset. They're taking it as their possession. So can you now imagine what it means if you take it from him and you don't give it back? Matter of fact, you stole it from him. You just grabbed it because you had the power to get it. You did. You took the coat and you did not give it back. You have no intention to give it back. They were so blinded by their greed and their coveting that they did not realize just how serious it was or what it was that they were doing. Or maybe they did and they just don't care. Yeah, God saw it. God heard their cry. And now guess what's coming? How serious is this? These were their countrymen. These were the people that they trusted. These were the people who they had to trust. Their home people. I was going to say homeboy, but, I, you know, they're homeboys. Okay, homeboys. 
These were their homeboys, man. They're people. And they were doing this. Doing this to them. Man, they're supposed to be my friends. These guys are supposed to be my friends. How awful. How awful is this? Next, they wanted to cheat women out of their wonderful homes. The idea here is that they're probably accused of taking homes from widows. That's why it's pointed out, not just taking the property. He points out women. It's probably because he's talking about widows and the children and all they had left. Now, being a widow back then, this is why widows come up all the time in Scripture, especially back then, even still today, but back then especially, widows were proverbial. You used the widow as an example that you wanted to do when you wanted to point out something that was weak, helpless, and vulnerable. That's what widows were. They were considered to be the weakest of the weak, poorest of the poor, and the most vulnerable in your nation. No, the Bible commands us to do things for widows. Why? Because they're in this situation. But instead of following the directives of Scripture as to what we're supposed to do for widows and orphans, what were they doing? They were snatching everything they had left. Not only are you doing this to your friends, to people who are just passing by, the people who are, the soldiers who are coming back, you know, just that, that's the idea, but just that idea, people who you're supposed to trust, you're doing, not only are you doing this, but the people who need you the most, the people who have nothing, the people who are destitute, poor, vulnerable, the ones that need you, you're using your power to take advantage of them. Wow. Using your power to take advantage of them. And also take advantage of the children. Being a widow, again, was proverbial for being weak, helpless, and vulnerable. These are the people who needed you the most, and you are doing all that you can with the power that they had given you because they trust you. You're using it to take advantage of them because of your never-ending greed and coveting. You just are not going to be happy until you have it all. But what do we see in our country today? One of the, the, the anomalies when it comes to psychology is that people who have more are more depressed. We think that money and success and all the stuff and satisfying all the coveting, we think that's going to make us happy, but it doesn't. And it's been proven. It's there, we're, we're proving all of this stuff. But that's the insanity of it. You know, when it, especially when it comes to money, success, and coveting, it's not that we, you know, some people got to learn the hard way. Because that's not what we think. We think, hey, you know what? Yeah, that person got a lot of money and now they're, they're, they're depressed and now they're ruined their lives and all that kind of stuff. But if I get a lot of money, that, that's going to be different. Right? I'm different. It's not going to be that way with me. I just remember, I just, I can't think of the guy's name right now, Rockefeller. Rockefeller, I think, right? Wasn't Rockefeller a, a very wealthy man? And they asked him when it was going to be enough. How much money did he need? When is it going to be enough? And he said, just a little more. 
Isn't that the answer? It's always just a little more. 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 Give me a number. More. That's coveting. That's the the danger of coveting. It puts them in that situation. Because of their never-ending coveting, they're putting themselves in a position, position where they are doing the worst thing that you can do to another human being. So bad. Like, you know, this is all they have left. And you just got to have that too. Now, God wouldn't be bringing this up if it wasn't happening. It was happening then. I mean, we think like, wow, we read something like that and we just have a hard time thinking that people actually do it. They did it. You know, that's, that's why I keep saying, like, you know, when they sacrificed, their, the judgment was coming because they were sacrificing their kids to Moloch, you know, sacrificing kids to their, to their gods. And it was done in the past tense. You know what that means? That means they were actually doing it. <laughs> they were actually taking everything widows and orphans had. They were actually taking it from them. Taking it from them. You're taking from the widows, which is bad enough. That's just horrible that you would do that. It's bad enough. But you obviously don't see the great magnitude of what it is that you're doing. You're also robbing her children of their inheritance. That property you took belonged to the widow, but it also belonged to their children as an inheritance. You took it from them. So you stole from the widow. Now you stole from the children who had this inheritance. You're taking what was supposed to be passed on to the next generation. You're not just ruining the life of a widow who needs your help, but you're taking what was intended for the life of their children. You're taking that too. Taking it from the widow, from the children, And here is the worst of it all. And moreover, did you know you're taking from the widow, you're taking from the children, and now you are robbing God of his glory? Yeah, because that's the directive in the word. God gave the land to the people to be divided up so that you guys could all live prosperously in the land. And I have given you blessing upon blessing so that you guys could live on. And you know what you're supposed to do in this piece of land after you die? You're supposed to give it to your children as an inheritance so that this continues on. This is what God had set up. When you snatch that house, you take that land You are robbing the people of what God intended and you are robbing God of the glory that he would receive from the people living in that land. You just took it. You robbed God of glory. He'd given those gifts intended for those people. This is how the world is supposed to see you. You realize that if we actually follow the directives in Scripture, 
what God had outlined in scripture. We, as the community, the body of Christ, if we actually did this stuff, the world would probably be sitting back going, wow, there's something amazingly awesome about that community of believers. I wonder what it is. They all have what they need. They share everything. They help each other out. They take care of the widows. They take care of the orphans. They do all of these types of things. We, 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 you know, if, if, if we actually did that, hmm, I wonder if people in the world would look and just be like, wow, that is an awesome God they serve. Maybe I should look into this. We're robbing God of the glory that he would even get from people who don't believe. This was never supposed to be this way. The world was supposed to see Israel and Judah. The world was supposed to see them as the example. This was the picture of the prosperity and life and the glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The world was supposed to see that. It's people to glorify God for his generosity and to enjoy him for all that he provides. Now when we get stuff and God drops a blessing of of any provision in our lives, the first thing we got to do is put up security and guard it because somebody's going to try to snatch it. Somebody's going to try to take it away. God is going to bring some blessing down upon the people. And now somebody is going before Congress to propose that we should raise taxes so they can get a piece of that. Hmm. Robbing God of his glory the provisions that he's given, the first thing we do when we get this is not glorify God, but figure out a way how we got to protect it from people who are coming to take it from me. Then we guard it, we get stingy with it, hide it, (laughs) not do what it is that God wants us to do with the blessings that he gives You are not just robbing your neighbor. You're robbing widows who so badly need it. You're robbing orphans who have placed their trust in you. And now you are robbing God of his glory. They shamelessly, Mark chapter 12, verse 40. Mark chapter 12, verse 40. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished, man. Serious. You cheat cheat widows out of their property. This is Jesus talking to the religious leaders. Serious. Serious, awful, horrible picture that we're seeing. And I wasn't going to do this, but let me, just give me like five minutes here. For years, I'm going to speculate a little. For years, we heard the story. Steve just read the, the, the account of the widow. The widow's might. The two coins that she dropped in. Bling, bling. Now, now, here's the thing. We hear this and we look at this as a picture or an example as to what it, what it means for us to give. 
that she is an example of how we're supposed to sacrificially give to God. Now, every time I hear this sermon, even as a young person in, in Bible college, I'd listen to this stuff, I listen to the widow's might, and I go, yeah, that's a great, great story. What an awesome thing that the widow did. But there was always something that bothered me about this. Always something that bothered me about this story. Because you notice that Jesus had just talked to the people, just talked to his disciples about all these horrible things that they they do to people, what they require the people to do according to the law, and they're so bad that they're cheating widows out of their property, cheating widows out of their homes, right? And we think just because there's a chapter break there that all of a sudden it's the next day. Chapter breaks were put in by man, right? Supposed to be read like a letter. Why are we assuming that it's the next day? Maybe Jesus was sitting there, and while he said, let me tell you about the chief priests and the leaders and all the stuff that they did and all the stuff that they're doing, how they're cheating people and how they have these laws set up to cheat people out of everything that they have. And then Jesus is sitting there and he witnesses something. A lady that's walking up. Now, what we hear in the story is that the, this lady put in the two coins. She gives out of her abundance. She gives everything, that, or, or they give out of their abundance, but she gives everything that she has. And so we focus on the gift. Isn't that funny? All commentators will say this, like Jesus is talking about how horrible the religious leaders treat the people, and then he takes a break for a minute and gives us an example of sacrificial giving, and then goes back to start judging the leaders and start judging the temple. Could it be that Jesus didn't take a break, but Jesus was pointing out the very example of the thing that he was just accusing the Pharisees of? Right? Because think about this. This is why it always bothered me as a a young person. Number one, Jesus doesn't say what happened after. So everything that we think of that, that happened after that, that she gave the, the, um, the money, we have no idea. Jesus didn't give an example. Jesus didn't even give any implications of what all of this stuff means. All Jesus is saying is these men, these people are giving out of their abundance. They're, giving, they're putting money because that's what they're supposed to do because they're required by the religious leaders to put the money in there. But these guys got a ton of money, right? That's all we know. And we know that she gave everything she had, right? Okay, so we remember that. They gave out of their abundance. She gave everything he had. You know, and then we assume, wow, this is the blessing that, that, that's given because she gave everything she had. And I hear sermons about this stuff, right? I hear sermons. She gave everything she had. That's the big deal. She gave everything she had. And the sermons that we hear, Are the preachers asking you to empty out your bank accounts today? Is it just me, guys? Let me just sit here and rest for a minute. Did you guys not think of that at all when you guys were listening to these sermons? She gave everything she had. So if I'm preaching a sermon and I'm saying that, what should I be telling you guys to do today? I need you guys to give just like the widow gave. Give me everything you have. But preachers don't do that. Do you know what the preachers tell you to do? You know, and, you know what you guys need to do is, you know, 
you guys were going to put $20 in, in the, the offering today. Why don't you guys put $30 in there and give, and give sacrificially just like the widow did? And you're putting $30 in there instead of 20 thinking that you accomplished it. You didn't accomplish what the widow did. You didn't do that. Do you know what these sermons are telling you to do? I'm totally going to get in trouble with this on YouTube. Watch this. Do you know what these sermons are actually telling you to do? To give out of your abundance. You are actually listening to the sermon after the thing. You are doing the very thing that you're saying Jesus condemned. Did we not pick that up? Is it just me? I'm young thinking about this going, well, there's something not right with this stuff. So maybe the reality is, is Jesus was pointing out something very, very horrible that was happening at this time. He just said that they were robbing widows and taking everything that they had. What if this was the example that he was giving? Do you know why this is important to know? Do you know that what the widow gave, the two, the two coins, that's the minimum you could put in there? That's the law that the scribes and the Pharisees and everybody set up. If you're going to give money, this is the minimum. So here I'm telling you guys, hey, here's the deal. Do you know how much money it costs for us to cash your check? Don't be giving us checks for two cents. It's going to cost us more to process the two cents. So there's a minimum that they did. We don't do that, but that's essentially what they're doing. They're giving you a minimum. So here's the widow who's coming up and she's got to put money because this is what you're supposed to do because the religious leaders are telling you to do this and they set it up and require this of people. So she has to give and she walks and sees all I have is this. I can't give any less. The only way for me to fulfill the law that these guys are requiring is I got to give it all. That's how wretched this was. This is what I think Jesus was like, look, this is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, all these people, they could put a minimum in, you know, if you rolling around, you know, with that, that, that money roll, you know, like the boxers that carry around the money roll, you know? If you got one of those, then yeah, hey, you got to at least put two cents in. Okay, ding, ding, no problem. Yeah, I'll put a dollar in. There you go. Out of the abundance. But for this lady, in order for her to fulfill the requirement that was set up by the leaders, what did she have to do? She had to put everything she had in it. One commentator that talked about this very thing said, you know what probably happened? She went home and died. Seriously. That's why this was horrible. That's why this was so wretched. That's why this was just a a, a huge thing. This is why Jesus is saying, let me tell you guys something about what these religious leaders are doing to my people. This is what they were doing to God's people. This is what was happening during the time where where Micah was preaching in in the land. 
And now we see that it's happening again. So you better believe that if God judged Judah and Israel for doing this before, he is going to do it again. And that's what Jesus is saying. And what does Jesus say? Right after this, he goes in and he starts to talk about the judgment that's going to come upon the temple. He's, he's done. He's, he's bringing judgment now. He is casting the judgment down upon the people. And family, this is still happening today by those who are closest to you. And I, I can go down the list. Let me give you a couple examples. You know, when I was in Hawaii, one of the things that I thought was just absolutely crazy, I haven't seen, I witnessed this. I'm not saying it doesn't happen here in Colorado, but it just seemed like it was prevalent during the time, especially with the people in the circles that I was running around with. But I was privy to when, their, when grandma and grandpa died and I was in on some of the conversations that happened with the family. Have you ever witnessed something like that where the family members started fighting over the money? The most hateful things, the most despicable things of what they were trying to do, the evil, illegal things that they were doing to try to get a hold of that money. And they would fight over the inheritance to see brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins fight over money and say the worst things and the, the worst things to get stuff. I had one, I had one uh, 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 deal where, the, where grandpa died and, and grandma had all the money and, and, and grandma didn't want to deal with this. So or she, just, she just wanted to make sure everything was taken care of and she just didn't want that responsibility. So she says, you know what? I'm just going to give the inheritance to my son and you know, his, his wife. I'm going to give it to my, fam- to my family. Let them handle the inheritance. So the whole process went through. Son and daughter just like, oh, mom, yeah, this is just really smart for what you were doing. They got the money. Money was in the bank account. It was done. And they threw mom out of the house and put her in a nursing home. I, I couldn't, I just, I just remember crying at first because I couldn't believe that this was happening. I couldn't believe that, that they, people would do something like this. Did they give her money? No. Mom, through her sister, told me that they put her in a nursing home and she lives off of her social security. That's it. How could you do that? And we look at this and we stand, oh yeah, look at what the Pharisees did to that, to that widow. Look at what they did to her. How dare they? We don't do that kind of stuff today. Oh yes, we do. We totally do this kind of stuff today. Put her in the cheap, it wasn't even a nice one right on the beach. You know, the one that my grandmother stayed in, it was like a, it was like a hotel. It wasn't even a nice one. It was all broken down. You weren't sure that the heart monitor things were working right. You know, it's just like, hey, hey, the heart monitor thing is kind of freaking out. And the nurse walks up to it, bangs it. It's working now. I mean, it was one of those nursing homes. A pastor, a pastor had a four-year affair with the worship leader's wife. And, and, and the worship leader, when I talk, the worship leader is a friend of mine, that's, that's, that was everything to him. His wife was everything to him. And the pastor thought that it was okay for him 
to take his wife. And not only that, but the worship leader said that the pastor was his best friend. It's not even our, just our leaders. It's in the culture of what we, and the things that we do. Family, it's in the church. And this is what we've got to not stop lying to ourselves and, and recognize that these kinds of things still happen even in the church. I remember I was going to work at a job at this, at, at this ministry. And this, uh, I was going to get a job and I was going to work for this ministry's prayer center. <laughs> oh, I was going to work at the prayer center. Steve knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Steve, I think, might have worked there too. I, I, don't, I don't remember. But uh, anyway, uh, in, the, in the prayer center, and what they would do is they would watch them on TV and then they would put the number down and then they call so that they can get prayer, right? So number one wasn't really true. Yeah, our job when they called to get prayer was to pray for them. But we had a binder this thick with the next step. So God, we pray for this individual. We pray that they're healed, all that stuff. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the real work begins. Now we had to try to sell them a book. We had to sell them tape, a tape series, a video series, and, and, and here's the thing. Not only did we have to try to sell them, so it, there was like a category. If they called for prayer because of health, they were health tapes. They were healing tapes. They were book tapes on healing. They were videos on healing. That's, that's what we, so we went down the category. So all we'd have to do is just look down the list. Oh, page, you know, flip to the page, and there was a list of stuff that we had to convince them of. Some of these things were like 50 bucks. But here's the thing, why I had to pass on the job. Well, what if, what if they're calling for finances because they don't have money? Well, then you need to take them to the book and tape part where it talks about finances. And you need to try to sell them one of those, those, those book and tape things. But what if all they have is $50 in this book and tape table and the book thing is, is $50? Then they need to sow a seed so that God can bless them. An individual will say, well, what if, and they actually have this, what if they say this, I don't have any money, this is the money I have to buy groceries for the week. That's okay. Send it, and when you send it, God will bless you, and God will provide so that you can buy groceries for the week. There was no excuse. I won't have money to pay my bills. That's okay. You can't afford not to do this then. <laughs> Give to the ministry and God will bless you. Make that sacrifice and God will bless you and you will have more than enough money to pay your bills. It will be overflowing, running over. Okay. And who knows if they're able to buy groceries. Did they starve all week? We do this today, family. There was a couple that I talked to. They got bled dry of their money. They had a lot of money when they got married. They got bled dry because she got an illness and it was causing a lot of pain. So she went to a healing ministry in Hawaii and they had to pay this ministry, something crazy like $500 an hour for them to pray for you. It was like massage parlor 
kind of thing. Like you come in for a massage. No, you come in, you lay on the table, and they pray for you for healing. 500 bucks an hour. Hey, you want to stay here for five hours? We'll pray for you for five hours. It's just $500 an hour. And then they finally came to me and when they had no money. And they said, Shane, we don't have any money anymore. What, what, can you tell us about this healer? I, I, I couldn't believe this. That they would take advantage of a couple like that who the wife was dying of a disease. How could you do something like that? I mean, many people are told by some ministries that Jesus is coming soon. So, you know, they would say, hey, Jesus is coming next Sunday. If Jesus is coming back to take you home next Sunday, you don't need your home and you don't need your money. But what you could do is you can sell your home, you can empty out your bank account, send it to this ministry so that we can get on radio and we can get on TV and we can spread this message that Jesus is coming back next week. And people did it. I knew of an individual who did it. Gave all their money, sold their house. Family, people still today tell me all the time how they got to protect their grandma from the phone calls that they get from people trying to steal their retirement. Don't act like we don't do this today. God came to judge Israel and Judah for doing this to their people. Do we think that we won't be judged for all that we have been doing today? This is a picture of what brought the judgment of God and we got the same behavior with a God who promises in his word that judgment is coming, judgment is real, and the judgment is going to be terrible. Wow. I don't know who. But we who are oppressed, family, we do the same things. That's a reality in our culture today. We tend to do the same things in our area of authority, of our area of guidance, and our leadership. If there is a way we could take advantage of a situation to get what we want by doing something that we're not supposed to do against a person who is trusting us, it seems like in our culture today the temptation is too great. Coveting is just too great. We fall into the trap, so we betray, we deceive, we lie, we cheat, we rob, we abuse, we take what is not ours. So many different ways today we do this. Moreover, many of us are guilty of robbing God, robbing God of his glory. We rob God with our lives. You realize that? With the life that we lead, we rob God of his glory with the life, our lives that we lead, our we rob God of his glory with our day-to-day activities. Rob God of his glory with our giftings. We rob God of his glory with our money. We rob God with our apathy. We rob God with our envy. We rob God with our jealousy. We rob God in our thoughts. We rob God in our prayers. We rob God with all the compromises that the church is making to accommodate the secular society. We rob God of this. Do you know how much glory the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords gets when one of his children on earth will stand for the truth? We rob God with our silence. 
We rob God with our silence. We abuse and we rob God in our own way with our own lives. And it remains. Nothing has changed, family. God is coming to judge. I did not get a memo. Some of you might have. I would love for you to share it with me. Where God canceled the coming judgment. The last I checked, God is not canceling the coming judgment. That judgment is still coming. It's coming, it's real, and it's going to be terrible. What a terrible thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. Man, Shane, that was a lot, man, you gave. And you're right, I do these same things, even in my own life. I've robbed my neighbor. I've cheated my neighbor. I've cheated my friends. I've done so many things to people who trust me. Shane, I've robbed God with my life. You're right. Is there any hope for me? Is there a way? Is there a chance for me, man? I I wish I could tell you, but man, the examples that you give, I think that what I have done to people is worse than those examples. Can... I know God's judgment is there and I know it's real, but can I be saved from this? You bet you can. This is the reason why we can rejoice today, Central Baptist Church, because God sent Jesus to make a way for us to be saved. We, amen, we can be justified today because Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Yes, we can be justified today because the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Yes, we can have life and life more abundant today because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Yeah, we can have life and life more abundant today because he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. We have hope. We have hope, but the hope is in Christ. And the promises continue. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, if you call upon the name of the Lord, salvation is here for you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The last time I checked, everything that God promised is yes and amen. That's why I believe it. I hear this, I know I'm saved. These things are written so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. Family, there is salvation for us today. Yes, there's a lot that's happening in the world today. Lots that's happening. But family, today, fix, let's fix our eyes upon Jesus. He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. And I know we will be okay. I know we'll be there. Is it because of how awesome and how skillful we are? 
No, it's because of the faithfulness of our God. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion in the day of the Lord. We can be saved from the real, the coming, and terrible judgment. To God be all the glory. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.